You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Every year, hundreds of thousands of visitors flock to the pristine wilderness and scenic views of the national parks across the United States. Some of which are at their furthest reaches, part of a group of the most remote places on Earth. But as some people venture beyond the traditional campsite, deep into places like the Chisos Mountain Range of Big Bend National Park, Texas, Reports have come back of multiple different strands of particularly strange and often terrifying phenomena. For decades, inhuman screams emanating from unknown sources have been experienced by hikers and park rangers alike, while others have found themselves inexplicably lost within Big Bend, stranded in the desolate heat or caught in thundering storms, only to encounter oddly tall, pale, humanoid entities who save them, only to vanish as quickly as they appeared, without leaving a trace. To some, the park is a capsule of blood-soaked desolation, with stories told for centuries of ghostly apparitions and wailing spirits. The list truly goes on and on. A place where it seems certain forces are at play leading us down a bizarre trail of rabbit holes and stories that in some way might in fact be connected to this ancient and utterly bizarre national landscape. Welcome back into the portal, as we investigate tales of disembodied wailing screams, strange entities, and more, lurking deep within the confines of Big Bend National Park. Hello, everybody. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Mm. So yeah, welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. That's yeah. the first uh, time mm. back on the mics in 2022 to start off this uh, this new fresh ride here, this crazy trip around the sun. Mm. I don't even know. It's uh, We hope your guys' 2021 was, was decent and you had mm. a good New Year's, so... Hit, hit us up with any uh, paranormal things that happened to you last year, because I'm sure there's some, some wild stories. And we're, we're uh, yeah, stoked for 2022. We mm. hope you all enjoyed the Santa Mana healing bones of St. Nicholas Christmas ITP special we put out just Pretty before cool, Christmas. Like, I enjoyed that one. I had a lot of fun 
recording and researching that. So yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, we did not know where that episode was going to lead us. Not really. No, no, that was interesting. It took us down some paths we yeah we definitely didn't expect with the mushrooms and the reindeer. So yeah, that is a fun episode. No matter what time of year it is. So if you guys haven't listened to that, or if you didn't because you're thinking oh it's past Christmas or whatever. Hit us up, go check out that episode, and uh, yeah, you'll definitely be weirded out by the history of Christmas. <laughs> Last but not least, before we get started here, uh, patreon.com slash into the portal. That's what keeps the lights on around here, so check us out on there with the link below, and uh, you get lots of amazing perks and bonus content. Mm-hmm. Okay, we ready to get into this? I think so. Today, we're getting into a topic and a place that has been requested uh, specifically by our Texas-based listeners for quite a while now. We're venturing into the remote areas of Big Bend National Park. And in general, this is one of the most strange and paranormal places in the entire United States, Mm -hmm. with a lot of similarities to what I will call the infamous Skinwalker Ranch. And that's Hmm. something that we've sort of just realized throughout the research into this episode here. A little bit. And, you know, just to clarify for our listeners here... Because, like, when I first heard this park name, I actually thought of the clock, like, in London. Big Ben. <laughs> I thought it was Big Ben. I was like, who is this Ben? Is it Benjamin Franklin right. they named it after? No, it's Big Ben, duh. With, with a, a D. D on the end. Right. Mm. Yeah. Just clarify. That would have been an interesting connection. <laughs> yeah. The Big Ben clock and the, and, and the park. Or just a Benjamin Franklin, maybe. Just... That was the only thing I could think of. I was like, who's Ben in significant U.S. history? It makes me wonder if anyone ever gave Benjamin Franklin the nickname Big Ben. He was of smaller stature. I was going to say, I don't think he was particularly no, large. No, He had some big ideas. Big ideas, maybe. Hmm? Well, okay. Big other things. That's a topic for another day, perhaps. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin and his air baths out in the, out in the window there. <laughs> yeah. But no, today we're talking about Big Bend National Park because there's a lot of really, honestly, you guys, straight up terrifying things that happen there. UFO sightings, missing people, and everything in between. According to, you know, a slightly older document from the National Park Service, this was in 2016, there's been nearly 3,000 deaths in national parks over the last 12 years alone. And this doesn't take into account the ones that are, you know, straight up missing people, vanished persons, never been found, Hmm. unsolved cases. These are just tragedies because obviously they're remote, they're dangerous, and a lot of people go there that aren't necessarily experienced, but also there are some potentially paranormal elements to this as well Hmm. and that's obviously been latched onto with like the recent series uh missing 411 which focuses on Mm -hmm. national parks but that's not what we're getting into today we're not talking about expressly missing persons but definitely some adjacent topics because there's a lot that makes the national parks and particularly big bend pretty dang mysterious so for today's episode there seems to be a lot at play here Located in southeast of Texas, with the desert extending well past the border into northern Mexico. Uh, so this is the <laughs> the Chihuahua Desert, <laughs> which is such a great name. Mm-hmm. That being said, it isn't just because it's remote that makes Big Bend particularly dangerous if you're going there. There appears to be much more to the stories than simple cases of like hikers getting lost or taking on more than they can handle they encounter things like disembodied, guttural, horrifying screams, unexplained tablets have been found in the park, evidence of things such as even alien mining have been suggested, and indeed, like I've already said, very, very similar in a lot of ways to that of Skinwalker Ranch, because it is kind of a mixed bag of high strangeness. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of 
anomalous phenomena is kind of how I'll broadly classify it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like you kind of alluded to, yeah, there's a lot going on and there's not a lot of explanations. (laughs) So, mm -hmm. But we do have some more stats here on the park. Let's get into that. Yeah, because like you said, Andrew, this is one of the most remote. It is situated along the southern border of the United States. And uh, let's get into this because... That we're talking over 1,200 square miles of protected land. Yeah. That's yeah. about 800,000 acres. Yeah. Does that make sense? Roughly that, I think. Yeah, about 800,000 acres. We could break that down into hectares, too, if we really mm-hmm. wanted to. But It's uh, interesting. When you do look in Google Maps, like, you can see there's, like, a, a zone that's, like, you know, like, the, the I guess, designated uh, official periphery of the park. But then, right. obviously... The landscape extends, like we said, a lot further into Mexico, into yeah. the south, and some desolate landscapes. I mean, you it wouldn't is. even really be like, "Oh yeah, it's it's the park." I mm-hmm. mean, nobody goes there. Mm-hmm. But sure, it's a continuation. Uh, some of the most common landmarks that you could refer to would be the Rio Grande and the Scenic Rivers, and those actually form along the southern boundary. Right. Uh, yeah, it's interesting too because it has the Chios Mountain Range that is actually formed by uh, ancient volcanic activity, and it's a uh, it's a complete mountain range. It's, it's the quite most complete mountain range, like, I get, Like, it's one of the biggest complete mountain ranges that's, like, in a national park, I guess. Which well, is within the boundaries. Within the, the boundaries of the park, yeah. And it actually was uh, maybe part and parcel because of this, but obviously it's a very important area because it was established as a biosphere reserve. And this happened in the 1970s. In 1978, actually, Congress designated uh, 307 kilometers, which is actually, well... In miles here, we're talking roughly 190 uh, sections, and this is including parts of the Rio Grande River and scenic rivers. And so this is, yeah, it's it's quite important, I think. Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot going on. It's an it's an ancient, massive, remote landscape, but mm-hmm. you know, 1500 million years before present time, there's things happening in the park. Yeah. Pretty it's cool. like Jurassic Park. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. Like I didn't look too too far into it, but the the mountain form, or sorry, the mountain range itself, the Chios, was formed approximately thirty two to thirty eight million years ago. Like, obviously, there's different points of uh, evolution sure. within the ge- geology of the park, but I don't know if all of our listeners will be familiar with this, but. Big Bend is actually designated as an international dark sky park. Right. Which means that <clears throat> this area or this region actually possesses an exceptional quality of darkness when it is nocturnal. So it is actually specifically protected for that reason, yeah. too. Um, and it's, it's also interesting, too, because it is very remote, like we already alluded to. And thus, it actually represents one of the least visited national parks in the entire country of the United States. Yeah. And it is because of this, like, extra remoteness that obviously it adds to this effect, this darkness, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it also maybe adds to other things, right? There's a <laughs> lot going on out there that people aren't necessarily in tune with, perhaps. For sure. A lot of, uh, like we said, these anomalies. It's estimated that less than 500,000 people go to visit this park per year. And right. who knows it's how far they actually get in the park. But again, let's let's start off with the Chios Mountains because this is one of the epicenters for a very, how should I phrase it, disturbing phenomena. And that would be the one that you already kind of alluded to, Andrew, the Chios Mountain Screams. Right. Hmm. So yeah, could there be something 
unknown, an entity perhaps, or some other people think that perhaps there's a gateway within the park from which these things are emerging, perhaps. Yeah. But this is indeed one strange phenomena that we've encountered before. It's not phenomena, or sorry, it's not phenomena that is unique, I should say, to Big Bend, but it does often seem to be associated with some sort of gateway, an opening in the earth, say a cave. A gateway to hell, specifically, I think is what well, we a should lot of probably people, say. Yeah, a lot of people associate it with that type of thing, I guess. And one one such example I think we've talked about before in the past is the super deep borehole, which was that Siberian example. Yeah, where there cola, was, super there deep was, borehole, I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah, the cola, yeah. And that was where those screams were actually recorded. Allegedly. Allegedly. We didn't actually hear the footage. I don't... Oh, no, we did get some recording footage. Well, there's... Yeah, there's... <laughs> there's kind of inconclusive. There's audio available on the internet that says it's the, the recordings of the screams. But it's very iffy as to Obviously. whether or not that's... Yeah. yeah. And I will pull up one other example off the top of my head here, and that would be uh, the Hoska, Castle Hoska. And yeah. that sort of example, I believe there were disembodied screams emanating from there. But... Let's talk about the park here, because for decades, hikers, these are experienced hikers too, not just people that just decide to go for a nice walk in the woods or something. Yeah. They have reported hearing unidentified, terrifying sounds emanating from the area around the Chisos Mountains. And like we already said, these particular mountains are located in the dead center of the park, which means that whatever it is, it's not coming from something like you know i'm not i'm thinking something industrious or like you know it's coming from within the confines of a national park right there is a seven mile long paved road that climbs into the chios mountains basin this is actually a circular type valley that's ringed by a lot of craggy peaks which again adds to the remoteness yeah difficult terrain also something else that's interesting to note about these mountains is the idea that uh, chisos itself is a spanish word that can be interpreted as spirit or ghost right so the fact that we have disembodied guttural screams emanating from such an area is very interesting yeah it adds to the ominous nature Uh, there's lots of legends of course that go along with this but lots of stories that even the most skeptical people, including park rangers, experienced park rangers, are, upon hearing these sounds, are just overcome with a complete sense of existential dread. They can't place it. It's never found as to what the source is. It's, uh, it's just a mystery. So whether or not these, again, yeah. right, could these be auditory echoes through time as opposed to visual? We could get into that, but well, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves, I guess. Right. Eh? Mm-hmm. So basically, though, yeah, first phenomena in the park here. Yeah, like where are these coming from? What what could possibly be the reason? Is it is it just a, a spirit or whatever? Let's get into an actual encounter. There's been dozens. This one was relatively recent, so we thought that that would be interesting just because this is still going on. People are experiencing mm. this right up here until into the pandemic. People can't going into the park. So this encounter was reported three years after the alleged inve- alleged event. Take that as you will. So it was reported in 2019, took place in 2016. It's an unverified source that was posted online, but reading through it, it seemed sincere. It didn't seem since like it was sensationalizing anything. But this woman posted online about her experience camping in the park with her husband and her friend. None of the people in the story are named, uh, but I'll get to that at the end. 
So basically, this is how it goes. They arrived at around 4 p.m. within the park and set up their campsite. They were at a location that was kind of in the proximity of the park's entrance called Nine Point Draw. It's still fairly remote, though, despite being in the proximity of the entrance. It's about 40 miles from the Rio Grande, and looking at a map, you're not, you ain't walking to civilization if you're having troubles at your campsite, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. They were experienced, as they described, as she described in her post, that they had been camping before, you know, but not ridiculously hardcore camping, but definitely had been camping before. So they had experienced sounds of the wilderness. They knew sounds of the area, including the strange and often haunting wailing sounds that coyotes can make. And this sound is often misinterpreted as something paranormal. I was actually, we were going to have a little clip here of that for you guys, but it was just kind of awkward. So we encourage you just YouTube wailing coyote sounds because it is quite spectral and very Hmm. spooky Mm -hmm. so they decided that they would go out for a a night hike to a nearby trail after they had set up their campsite so they had dinner but in preparation for this hike before it was really dark the woman who wrote the post decided to go scout part of the trail from their campsite Uh, so she relays her story as follows here and we've paraphrased it to keep uh, to stick to the details The terrain in this part of the camp is totally flat desert with some ground vegetation, so they thought it would be an easy route from their campsite to the trail. The trek from the campsite was not difficult, but as an added protection, the woman had set up small piles of rocks for the group to follow later that night in case they got lost. After dinner, they decided to head out. It was around roughly 10 p.m., and for the first 10 minutes of their walk on the trail, it was uneventful. They were in good spirits, as she describes in the post, when suddenly they stopped because they heard a scuttering noise behind them about 50 feet away. They they all stopped and listened, but having been used to animal noises, like we said, they all chalked it up as, quote, some kind of a critter. So they keep on going as planned, but just a few short minutes later, they hear the same noise, except this time, it's a lot closer. It's right behind them. And this time, it sounds like a much larger animal. The landscape was wide open, but she described that they couldn't see anything with their flashlights as they scanned to try to see what was behind them. Despite feeling totally uneasy with the situation, they continued on as the rock piles uh, had been doing a pretty good job of leading them in the right direction, because at this point they were getting a little disoriented. But this assured feeling of following their rock piles quickly ended, and all at once they stopped and a feeling of, as she described, absolute terror fell upon them. But she knew that they were in danger, just didn't know why, just like Amber described before. It's this misplaced fear. This is a direct quote. There was no sound, no wind. Then in an instant, the most inhuman scream erupted seemingly from all around us. We all froze for what felt like minutes, but I'm sure it was just seconds. I don't remember making the decision to run back, but the next thing I remember, we were all running. We had made it pretty far out, even though I thought I was running in the direction of our camp. I remember scanning for the rock piles I had made, but not being able to find any and almost turning back thinking we were heading in the wrong direction. So they're pretty disoriented at this point. Hmm. But had this instinct not to turn back. In the end, we made it to a rather large rock I knew was on the route back to the campsite. I also remembered putting a rock pile beside that large rock. So thank God she did that. But basically it ends by her saying, I went out to check if there was, uh, if it was there to make sure we were headed back to our campsite. 
The rocks were there the next day, but they had been all knocked over. The little piles that they had made. Mm -hmm. So that's the first screaming encounter. Hmm. (laughs) I mean, that's the main one we wanted to talk about for today's episode. Yeah. What are your initial reactions to that story? It's pretty crazy, pretty frightening. Obviously, the darkness adds another element of mystery because, you know, you'd be able to see a lot more if it's yeah. daylight. Yeah. One thing it did remind me of initially was uh, the story from Skinwalker Ranch that was uh, reported by the Gormans when they had a, quote, hippie young man come and try to meditate on their property one day. Yeah. And he was screamed at right in his face and ended up, it was more of a roar as they described it. So less of a, how did she exactly describe it? Uh, just, it, just a like inhuman an scream. Inhuman. Okay. And that's obviously okay. open to interpretation. It's like, what it exactly is, yeah. does that mean? What is that? Yeah, exactly. It could have been Joe Nichols owl. <laughs> It was a, a <laughs> screeching. What are your initial reactions? I guess that was kind of what I was. Well, thinking, I, but... I love that you brought up mm-hmm. the Skinwalker scream because I didn't think of that when I first read the story. Mm-hmm. You brought it up, and it is very similar. It's like, it's it's what clearly most people are interpreting as something trying to tell you to either stop stacking rocks because that seemed to be annoying to whatever this was, mm-hmm. or just not be there at all. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a warning, but it's it's telling you to get away. It's trying to scare you away because it can't necessarily reach out and touch you and physically remove you mm-hmm. for whatever reason because it's just beyond the veil if you want to believe that. But it can, it can move rocks. The, but it can move I rocks. I yeah. would be very curious. Like obviously I have questions about the story. I would love to see what those rock piles looked like, how big they were, what type of rock she was using, how easy it would be to knock them over if in their own confusion they could have potentially knocked them over on in their haste on the way back to the campsite. Suppose it's possible. If they had heard the rocks get knocked over too, that would be another element you could maybe... Like, I would love to just interview them personally, but... <laughs> of course. Of course, but we don't have that available to us. No, so this was this was just a Reddit story, mm-hmm. right? And, and, there's, and there's a million of them. Yeah, uh, a lot of them are pretty fantastical, and you can pretty you can you can weed it out, and you're like, okay, this is embellished a lot. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. others, it's it seems it seems more genuine. This is one of the ones yeah. that seemed a little bit more genuine, but I, uh... but like we've been speculating on, it's like haunting activity. Uh, Chisos well, Mountain Range, yeah. spirits, ghost mountain. The other range. thing I have too that's coming to mind is like the idea of the other two people that were there, her husband and his friend, what their account would be. You know, that would be interesting just to get the full. Yeah, Full scope I mean, she's it. speaking on their behalf. I guess it's not a group forum yeah. chat. Well, no, no, but yeah. yeah. Almost like what you had with your encounter with the orb at the lake, right? Where it's like, maybe yeah. you didn't realize that other people had had similar experiences, and then you kind of stumble upon it yourself years later, like, you know, yeah. like in this example. And that's the but. rabbit hole, uh, that's the issue, and also the benefit of the amount of information that's out there. Now, you can corroborate stories with other people who have had similar encounters or experiences, mm-hmm. but it also falls into uh, a drop in the bucket of, of many, many more stories that are probably disingenuine. <laughs> Open to interpretation. That's what we're here for on Into the Portal. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's get into more of this very mysterious uh, disembodied sound uh, discussion here. But first, let's just get a quick promo break. Hey, Happy New Year, everyone. Well, it's 2022, and I know we all make goals and plans for the new year. A new fitness tune-up, perhaps? Well, we all want to be the best versions of ourselves in 2022, and what often gets missed is that it all starts off with our mental health. 
You can get your car tuned up, your body tuned up at the doctor, but people forget the importance of mental health in all aspects of their lives. That's where BetterHelp.com is making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health this year and connect you with affordable therapists online from the convenience of your phone, tablet, or laptop. It's really easy to get started, and you can start communicating with a counselor within 24 hours of signing up. BetterHelp.com is safe and private and allows you to get help on your own terms and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions with your therapist and receive thoughtful and timely responses in return. BetterHelp.com is not a crisis line. It offers secure, convenient ways to access affordable online therapists to take control of your mental health today. And we want to help you get started. Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month using discount code PORTAL, P-O-R-T-A-L, when you visit BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com. That's BetterHelp.com. And we're back. Okay. So, yeah, like we were discussing here, is this a case of a haunting? Uh, Some believe that these types of uh, screams and this phenomena exhibited in the Chisos Mountains, like, kind of lend itself to this sort of explanation. Mm -hmm. And obviously the history, there is some blood-soaked history that did occur in this area. For sure. So perhaps, you know, could this be the explanation I also had the idea of like, you know, again, going back to Skinwalker, are we talking about some, you know, restless spirits or even like, you know, protectors of the land per se that have Mm -hmm. been there for time immemorial and we are just kind of interacting with them, you know what I mean? I like that. In ways that we don't understand. Much like that hippie guy on Skinwalker Ranch kind of thing where that in itself, like I'm just picturing if this was a daytime scenario, that, uh, that circumstance that you just laid out before the break there. If they would have seen a similar sort of a visual accompaniment, because right. in the story from Skinwalker with uh, oh, with the family, Tom, I believe the father described how as the man was sitting there meditating, his eyes were closed, so he was unaware of any of this going on. But he des- described it as some sort of cloaking yeah. that appeared to be like shimmering and and basically, yeah, it was some sort of mirage that was like creating this illusion it was like predator it was like from the movie predator totally yeah and in my mind i'm thinking like this is some sort of like black technology that the pentagon is developing or something some secret black ops stuff like well (laughs) maybe maybe i I don't know it's like uh harry potter's magic cloak like come on now (laughs) hanging out in big ben spooking people (laughs) yelling at people but that isn't that is an interesting point would they have seen something because yeah because it's kind of Mm -hmm. like it's pretty broad to say I mean, obviously, there's a direct connection. It's like, okay, Chisos Mountains, Ghost Mountains, Spirit Mountains. This is a massive, huge mountain range. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if it's like, oh, hey, there's a haunted cave or haunted house in there, right, where there's, like, one section that would be, like, explain some hauntings. It would just be like, because, like you just said, there's been, you know, military skirmishes, like, with, like, I think, Mexican-American War. There's Mm -hmm. obviously been skirmishes with indigenous groups, like, going back thousands of years. Yeah. Possibly stuff even before that that we don't even know about maybe the aztecs from the montezuma story trekked through here as a route yeah. i don't know and, and the, the conquistadors era that's all of that so there's it's a lot very, there yeah, there is a lot there mm-hmm. but then why would it be such a singular embodied scream to scare people away like that's where it gets weird but then that's also where we get into some of these other mm-hmm. ominous names well, in the canyon it does seem to be a place where 
almost like this does remind me of when we were looking at uh, Arizona and the Grand Canyon, all those very intriguing landmark names there. Egyptian and, and yeah, and, or, or, yeah With Eastern. With this, yeah. it seems to be a case of, again, right, like very otherworldly, ominous sort of names that are used for landscape uh, features throughout the canyon. Right. And one, the next one up here is called Bruja Canyon, which again, another Spanish word for da da da, which is <laughs> Las Brujas de Mexico. Oh, yes. Oh, Anyways, yes. and that's ominous right off the bat, of course. But in Bruja Canyon, hikers have both heard and also encountered uh, like a visual manifestation of a spirit yes. uh, that most often takes the form of what's described as a Hispanic man or a Mexican man. He's It's hmm. ancient. It's old. It's like 1600s is like what he looks like he's wearing the garb of. And he's like... I'm trying to remember the name for... Like the soldaderas, I guess. Like this, yeah. this the Mexican soldaderas, that would have been like the resistance, like... Back and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm I'm not sure. This is a very vague description. Like we already mentioned, these are dozens of accounts, it's not just one singular account. Yeah. But it it does come back to this again, these sounds, these yeah. auditory manifestations. And these are described as bone chilling, as screaming or wailing. And these are emanating from deep within Bruja Canyon. And it's one thing for it to be the screaming and the wailing of like what is clearly you know a trapped soul or like we talked about with like the super deep borehole which i think was a patreon episode where it's basically yeah, like the screams mm. of the damned that compared to a inhuman scream a scream to cause fear rather than fearful you know what i mean hmm. so it's like both are horrifying it's like trapped souls that can't escape somewhere within the canyon yeah and or a bruja, a witch, an entity, a skinwalker, possibly, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Shapeshifter that's of some sort. That's trying to scare people away. Mm-hmm. Both are not good options. There's a third option, too, and some people have proposed this really creepy theory, because there's, again, this is kind of bleeding into urban legend territory, but there is this story of a Native American woman who supposedly was... Uh, a, forced, I guess you might say, forced to drown her children in the canyon's river. And this was in order to prevent capture by, you know, uh, invading settlers, essentially like that. And, yeah, and who knows version. how exactly. So is this actually true? Is there actually historical documentation for this? Again, we're not really sure. It does remind me of similar stories to the Stingy Jack legends yeah. of the swamp witches and that type of thing too regardless so, of having the the official documentation though it's like we do know like that you know things like this probably did happen so it's like okay mm -hmm. it makes tragedy such as this yeah. sure yeah exactly so hauntings make sense but the thing that i'm having troubles with is like there, there there's just something more to it there's no question that all of this activity the the screams experienced by this woman and allegedly park rangers and haunting activity, encounters with spectral, uh, you know, ancient travelers, things like that. It's absolutely bizarre. But the question really is, what is the cause? That's what we're trying to get at here. And some people believe, like we've speculated on already, that it can be chalked up to this haunting activity because of the vastness of the park and its history. People disappearing in the bloodshed. But there's definitely some other... I don't even know if it's a stretch to call them theories. But some associations with other paranormal activity in the park 
that could potentially lead us to some explanations, or at least further down the rabbit hole, because this is all mm. so strange. There's a suggestion that there's activity here in Big Bend National Park, and specifically in uh, the Chisos Mountains, where there may be hidden resources that are <laughs> both desired by humans, mankind, but also by aliens, extraterrestrials, or strange entities from beyond. Hmm. And obviously this leads us to wonder about cave systems, what exactly is hiding underneath the landscape of the park, and if this has any association with these strange screams that are emanating from caves, weird places. And in the situation of our first case, it obviously came out and was like right amongst them and seemingly all around them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is there interdimensional stuff happening here? Is this just like a bruja or some entity? I, I don't know, but this definitely brings me to cave systems because whenever there's weird stuff happening like this, there's, there's always got to be origin point. Hmm. And we talked about that. Like I'm reminded even of just as an example, like the cave systems near uh, in Kentucky, the mammoth caves, cave system and the, go yeah. and the goblins exactly as an example. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're, this brings us to <coughs> the idea of strange caves, entities within and possibly ancient substances left deep within possibly even ancient mines that were once used not by man, but by other things. <laughs> So this is a strange case. We're kind of going back in time here from this first one, obviously. 1947. Deep within Big Bend. We don't know exactly where, but the illusion is that it is within the Chisos mountain range. They're hunting. It's the 40s, so I guess this was still okay in the national parks. And they start tracking a mountain lion. They're following it for some time and eventually get to a point where they take a shot at it, but they miss... So they're tracking it even further and end up going deeper and deeper down this one particular, uh, like, goat trail is what we like to call it when we're out hiking, but an animal trail, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly a spot that's been walked not by humans, but has been animal traffic. So this mountain lion, this big cat, leads them down this trail deep into a particular part of the range. It starts to go up. They keep following it. They climb up to this certain ledge of the canyon and eventually... They lose track of the animal, but they're at the entrance of a tunnel. So they go inside this tunnel within the canyon. Curious, I guess. I mean, they didn't really say why they didn't continue hunting the cat. I guess they were just curious. I would too, but hmm. caves also scare me. <laughs> so they go inside this cave. It's not crazy deep because they reach the back relatively quickly. And at the back of it, there is a hole. Now, that might not sound profound, hmm. But what was interesting is that this hole was perfectly round, a perfect cylinder. And it led into a descending shaft. And the way I picture it, it's almost like a laundry chute. It goes straight out for a second and then quickly descends down in hmm. this perfect cylinder. And what this was and why it was there and where it, it led to, these guys had no idea. They throw some rocks down. They can hear it kind of rattling down the shaft as they drop, but they don't there's no bottom. There's no discernible bottom to this. They leave... They, obviously, there's nothing for them to take with them. They don't have a camera with them in the 40s here. But they leave with this story of what cannot be explained. Why would anyone have been mining in this exact location? There were no other, you know, 1920s or 30s mines in the area. And so this has led to the speculation that this is a much older mine shaft of some kind. Created by non-human hands. 
Hmm. It's a wild speculation. Mm-hmm. But there's also other things we're going to get into in this episode that could potentially support this idea. And it kind of ties into some things we talked about in our Montezuma episode, just just in the idea of alien mining in general, where what would they be mining for? And we do know that gold and some of like precious metals are indeed substances of the gods, the literal shit of the gods, if we're talking about translation from like Aztec interpretations. <laughs> yeah. But it was speculated that the substance itself was needed for these otherworldly entities, gods to us, to travel, to move between dimensions, to 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 function, basically. Now, okay. Okay. <laughs> wild, wild stuff. It is wild okay. stuff. But it is also super weird I've because if these guys are telling the truth. Perfect, perfectly cylindrical. Okay. I'm curious about the lion. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to the You're lion. You're curious about here. the mountain lion. Because like you said here, so they, they took a shot, but they missed it entirely. It's not like they wounded it or anything. Right. So they're tracking the animal, which in my mind means that they're tracking its its footprints and things like that. And, like, you know, its disturbances in the landscape. And possibly I'm, seen it at a distance, possibly. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I'm just curious if... There would have been tracks leading into the canyon tunnel. You know what I mean? Like, that would be interesting. I really wish, you know... Like they're being led there? If I could have one superpower, I wish I could just, like, (laughs) just teleport to whatever time and place to just, like, extract the interview, like, you know, like, the primary source information from all of these witnesses, You'd and be... then just teleport right back now and be right. like, boom, I have the answer. You're like there Captain is. Peer Review. You're, yes. You show up, and you're like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no. Or yes. Or Captain Primary Source. I'm about Captain that. Primary Source. I don't know. <laughs> that is a great superpower. Yeah. It, it's very curious, though, right? It's, it's, it's two individuals, not one, so that's cool. Like, you got corroboration there. 1947, not true. too, too long ago. We don't have the names of these guys. That's, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those another just kind of urban legendy ones, but it's like, it seems, it seems like the stories that just get, like, they get clamped down so quickly. There was, yeah. yeah. And then when we start to talk about mining and the idea of this being a shaft and, like, you know, the idea that the, the uniform appearance of it does lend itself to something that is constructed and not naturally formed per se mm-hmm. whether it's by humans or by whatever else um i'm curious if there would be any other remnants of that would be evidentiary support to you know the mining hypothesis kind of thing you know uh, right. where yeah you i tried to find some other examples from within because like bend. my classic is like oh where were the little carts and the little like you know the tracks for the tr- you know the little, well, the little they're rail. Not doing it that's very like well exactly right so who knows what the heck is really going on there? I have a few more theories, but we have, uh, we'll get to that when sure. we kind of get into our main sort of whatever conclusions, okay. but okay. it's a very weird story. Just to, I'm curious to how far back they would have gone into this tunnel before it got to the... I know. They didn't say. There was a lot of detail. There yeah. wasn't the detail like Kincaid's or it's like, you know, you go back however many feet. It presumably <gasps> wasn't if, very far. Oh my gosh. What if it was a mirage? And they just had to step through the veil into, Ooh. it would have been, you know, when we talked in the Kincaid's Cave episode, I believe, or was it the Montezuma episode where the the, the individual managed to step through into what right. appeared to be some sort of futuristic city or something. Yeah, you went of. through into another dimension. That, yeah, yeah, totally. I think that was the Kincaid's and, Cave. And the association with that in terms of like possibly being true is like with ancient uh, indigenous groups and their stories of like, mm-hmm. you know, they're coming up from out of a... a 
the yeah. underground from yeah. another world that was advanced. That is, here you are, populated in the earth. Totally, yeah. That is in so... There's so many different versions of that. I actually was just reading... Because I was reading it before we started recording this morning uh, in the Hunt for the Skinwalker book by uh, uh, Kelleher and uh, George Knapp. Right. And they were talking about that again and uh, specific people that descended from the Pueblos then again, talking about that same origins legend, how they emerge from a hole, from their prior plane of existence into this this realm. Right. So, yeah. There's... So is there some association there with, yeah. with this potential story of this tube mm-hmm. and then a tube this this shaft and then the screams could because this that's well exactly right is this, this the too. portal that we're looking for there's hmm. definitely 75 this is according to the national park service and a texas uh, survey done in 2016 uh 75 known documented caves within the park and the chisos range mm-hmm. these are like major cave systems right six major rumored or completely undocumented ones so like Stories like this, mm, where like yeah. the guys say they go in, and yeah. then maybe someone goes back to try to find the shaft, and they can't find it, because mm-hmm. it's way out there. There's 34 cave-like rock shelters that are officially documented, and six different uh, sinkholes and karst cavities in the park. Okay. This is officially from 2016. Hmm. But many more caves and features undoubtedly exist, but have not been documented and or discovered. Mm-hmm. And this is a direct quote. The remote location of the cave-forming regions within the park, combined with the difficult terrain and extreme climate, has limited the study and document- documentation of the park's cave and karst resources. Interesting. Because that kind of, again, leads into another suggestion that I was going to put forth, and like the idea that this quote-unquote tunnel, this man-made feature, supposedly, or constructed feature of some kind, could potentially have been naturally formed by, like, erosional activity, like, by karstic, you know, landscapes, you know what I mean? Water, you know, coming in, and generally what you get is all these types of features, right? Like, stalagmites, stalactites, like, it's it's very, like, non-uniform. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing it being as perfectly cylindrical as you were describing in the account it might have just seemed that way to them at the time the only other thing that i could maybe say that is a natural sort of explanation would be the idea that perhaps they stumbled upon a lava tube because that's something that could form quite uh, that's a great explanation uniformly you know what i mean absolutely and that might be offer some type of explanation but if they couldn't even hear they said they couldn't hear the bottom of it, right? So Correct. it was that deep. Correct, yeah. <laughs> Either that or maybe it, the, the, the bottom of the cave was silt. So there was like, you, they would throw a rock and they couldn't actually hear, hear it hear because it. it was so soft. Like That's that could be another explanation. Well. It, it, it is still odd. It's obviously just one of those, yeah, there could be a totally mundane explanation. I want to go check it out. Or the opposite. Lower me down. <laughs> <laughs> Lower me in. It's just like Castle Hoska. Hopefully you don't come up 60 years older than when you went down. <laughs> With white hair. <laughs> but in terms of archaeological research, though, like, yeah, I would love to go because there's, it's not very well known. You know, hmm. um, there's only been three major archaeological surveys done in the park ever. The 1930s, the 1960s, and between 1995 wow. and 20, uh, 2010, and then basically the 2016 report I just referenced was that information. <laughs> so there's yeah, not, yeah. only 8% of the park has been officially, Poof. like, thoroughly That's very small at. percentage. Right? Very small. I wonder if LIDAR could really assist in uh, pointing to some sites that could definitely be quite valuable for research. That would be really interesting. That's a really good question. Hmm. 
so you guys might be kind of thinking that like with this this account we just gave, this is a pretty hard veer off from the screams. But it's part and parcel with like what we said where it is kind of like a skinwalker ranch. There's a whole bunch of these things that are seemingly completely dissociated, but potentially connected somehow. Mm, all happening within the same sort of geographical region. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the question I'm asking myself is, so for this last story in the 40s, is this some kind of evidence of an ancient prehistory where technolo- technological advances were at one point more capable of such a borehole? Is it evidence of some sort of extraterrestrial activity? Is it simply a lava tube, mm. like Amber suggested? <laughs> That's a definite possibility. Probably should have made her save that for the end, but that's okay. (laughs) But it's important, though, because it leads us into this next story in the park, possibly one of the most famous stories in the park, although I hadn't actually heard of it. I'd kind of, I I was familiar with it, but I never like knew of the full story. I actually had this confused with a different story. So this was actually kind of (laughs) interesting. And, and, And the reason we're bringing this one up is one, it's interesting, but two, Maybe there's some associations and connections with the idea of the interdimensionality of the park or generally just bizarre history of the park. 1962, there are uh, two hikers that make a strange discovery near former hot springs uh, within the park. So January of 1962, two hikers named Charles Nichols and his stepson Donald we're out looking for interesting areas to photograph, much like a lot of the uh, people in our stories. They're looking for petroglyphs, unique formations. They're out for a hike, right? But what they end up finding is something much more bizarre. The story goes that they had hiked into a tougher area to access that seemed like no one had kind of gone up that trail for quite a long time. Donald, specifically, was looking up on some uh, areas that were higher up on a cliff, and he discovered a small cavern-like impression in one of the rocky outcrops near them. He goes to investigate where he spots an even larger cave on the ledge that was accessible enough to go investigate. So they climb up and into this cave. They're looking inside. They venture in just a little into the darkness, and they come across something that they totally didn't expect. They end up finding on the floor of this cave fragments of what appeared to be ancient stone tablets. Hmm. They claimed that they carefully dusted them off, inspected them, and realized very shortly after this that they they fit together like a puzzle. As if the pieces were obviously one, one time of solid slab, like the Ten Commandments I'm picturing here, and shattered and broken apart. It appeared to them to be some kind of series of ancient symbols, like a language. So they collect the pieces, and they take it down to the ranger station. This is the only thing they could think of to do. But the basics of the story is that the park ranger, quote-unquote, they showed it to, could not identify the markings as indigenous or anything else that might have been found in the park in Texas that was well known. This Hmm. is where the story gets even weirder. So, allegedly, they give the tablets to the ranger to have them inspected for analysis. Officially, according to the National Park Service website, they documented that the tablet pieces were received by a man named Douglas Evans, chief naturalist at the time of the park, and by his own account, he stated that the tablet was not uh, old, that it was 
made of clay. It was made of fragile river silt that can be found along the Rio Grande and that it wasn't ancient at all. He looked at it and thought that it had been made like the day before. Hmm. But this isn't the only version of the story available on the National Park's website because some sources claim that the tablet and the park ranger that they dropped it off with initially before it being handed to Evans was removed from his position. The only thing we do know is that they reportedly, you know, gave it to this guy and that he's the one who gave it to Evans. Evans claims that it sat on his desk for several months until it disintegrated into powder. Yeah, okay. He never took any additional photographs of it. Throughout this whole time, there's arguments uh, between the Nichols and what to do with what with what to do with the tablets. Hmm. But Charles had taken a photograph. So mm-hmm. that was what he was working off of as far as identification, because as far as whether or not it actually turned to dust on the desk of Douglas Evans, <clears throat> it's all his word and that's it. That's, the, all, that, that's all we have. The fact remains that the tablets are not known to exist at this point. No, they, mm-hmm. they, either, they either vanished because of carelessness or they genuinely disintegrated into dust because they were not authentic Although I have a paranormal theory to go along with that too. Oh, I just got there. So but I that's got so the, many thoughts popping yeah. in my head from this little story here. And we actually came across the story too in um, the mystery at the national parks, and that is a television series that covers a lot of these sort of uh, anomalies and things of that nature. But again, they in in that particular episode they did talk about how the group, the Nichols, yeah. did actually try to follow up. Uh, with the ranger station, and again, like you said, it was as if he had been, not disappeared, but he had been removed. So he had either been fired, transferred somewhere else, they <laughs> had never gotten a clear answer from that, supposed Weird. Yeah. So, and then, like we said, yeah, as for the stones, they're just nowhere to be found now. So there's only the photographs that remain. And we have looked at them ourselves, and there's illustrations of the photographs too, right? I think it was like a men's adventure magazine that you pulled up that yeah. had them creatively. Like, you know, it was actually pretty detailed and pretty accurate. Definitely. But this obviously adds difficulties because it's really hard to verify a photograph of an artifact. You know what I mean? If you can't do any type of tests like or analysis like you know of say even the composition of the materials or anything like that it it really comes down to just deciphering the symbols which that's it, all you can which do which was very strange exactly so thank goodness that charles had taken these photographs because this becomes you know the central sort of focus of the investigation and he actually decided to send them to a man named dr barry fell and he was a member of the american epigraphic society So basically, the Epigraphic Society has, since its induction in the 70s, I think it was 1974, they've supported international investigations with these discoveries and decipherments of ancient inscriptions, which is pretty cool. I actually didn't know what epigraphic meant right off the top of my head, so I was like, wow, that would be so friggin' cool. But despite some of the uh, investigative claims and hypotheses suggested by Dr. Fell and his associates, the National Park Service continues to claim that this is nothing more than a hoax and that these uh, portions of tablets were recently made and not ancient by any means. However, let's maybe get into uh, some of the other alternative ideas because Dr. Fell and his associates seem to think that there could be more to these tablets. Yeah, definitely. There's some suggestions that 
Possibly the tablet pieces themselves might have been mishandled. It would be years and years later before any real information about these stones would come to light. The Epigraphic Society, like you said, was established in the 70s. Mm -hmm. the, the tablets were found in the 60s. And Fell was one of the ones who provided translations on them. But there are, of course, conflicting sources stating everything about the tablets. I mean, the, way, the main thing for me is whether or not it actually sat on the desk of Douglas Evans for as long as it allegedly did. Hmm. But nevertheless, we're working off of the, the photographs taken by, by Charles Nichols. And of course, like the, the main interest piece here is that like there's an ancient tablet that would e either suggest that like way predating Columbus, there was travelers that came up the Rio Grande. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps that the inscriptions or markings on them are, it, there's some sort of ancient aliens association here of some kind for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Yeah. It's there to, as a marking point for something that we cannot pinpoint yet. Or there's a time travel element happening here. Ooh. According to an article I pulled from the Brian Windlethal Memorial Library, I believe is based in DC, mm -hmm. the tablet, according to some sources that were just examining the photographs, could have been real, according to the perspective of just analyzing the inscriptions, not the physical substance of the tablet itself. Mm -hmm. The ranger, like we said, thought the tablet was a hoax, and the initial peoples that received it. No one seemed to take it very seriously. It was eight years later where the true origins of it were going to be explored. But of course, by this time, like I said, just the photo. Mm -hmm. They received help from Miriam Lawrence. She was from uh, Sol Ross uh, State University. She was a professor, archaeologist. She did a partial translation of the tablet along with Barry Fell. They essentially concluded that it was some type of a prayer. Specifically, if you want to get really detailed, a prayer to the god Mithras, written in both Lycian and mm. Iberic, and roughly dating to the years 300 CE. <laughs> this, if this is true, this is what they roughly translated the tablet to. Why this suffering? Ah, what anguish. A call to prayer, 29th December, first winter months, year six. Heal us, heal us, heal us. The faithful by sorrows are beset. O guide us, Mithras. Show forth thy power and the promises of aid as revealed by Ara Mazda. Ooh, Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Ora Mazda is the god of Zoroastrianism, so ancient Persia, mm. uh, now modern-day Iran, one of the first monotheistic deities. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty significant. We've talked about polytheism and monotheism. But it's it, if that's a true translation, it's absolutely bizarre. Could any of this be true? Could, could any of this be legit? And when you do look at the pictures, like, one of my thoughts was that this doesn't look like the entire inscription. It looks partial. Yeah. And it reminds me of a lot... Like, when we're talking clay, I'm picturing something that, again, is very easily carved into. We have a lot of clay and silt and that type of thing in our neck of the woods. Lots of... Uh, what would you call them? Not banks, but huge, like, you know, like uh, uh, benches. Yeah, benches. So when you get like a, a cliff face, you, you know, lots of graffiti. It, it, it looks way similar to that, in my opinion. And like, I just, 
I can't help but think that it would have been quite interesting if they were able to go back to that cave. So if they, they did. If they managed to look around more, was there more on the walls? Did this just happen to fall yeah. off of a wall or so, something? Okay, so to answer that question, hmm. they did go back. So there was an expedition that went back and allegedly tried to collect some of the dust remnants from the tablets that oh. was analyzed. But it was like these fragments were... It was difficult to analyze exactly of like if it came off of the pieces that they collected, was this just some of the river silt left in there? So it didn't really lead to any conclusions. But they did make mm-hmm. an expedition back. Okay. Um to try They were to, able to locate the cave again. They were like... able to relocate the cave. Interesting. So once again with this, we're left with the question of could any of this be be true, be legit? And what is its potential association with the high strangeness in general within the park and indeed the guttural screams and what those might be coming from. Is it anyway related to an ancient peoples that these might be related to? These are speculations that people made and that we're doing as well, but it gets even weirder because some people suggest, <laughs> you know, let's just for, for a second, let's just pretend as if these are, are, are legit, right? Because even though the likelihood is that probably there's some misinterpretation going on here. There, yeah, somewhere along the way. Let's, let's, let's just, <laughs> but for a second here. Let's just one element. That let's could reserve be. skepticism for a second because there's a potential UFO connection. And the reason that this doesn't seem that outlandish is that there are a lot of UFO sightings and reports in Big Bend and indeed Texas in general. I'm sure a lot of our listeners in Texas can attest to that. Like, it's definitely a state that sees quite a few UFO sightings. But this connection is extra strange because it's related potentially to a UFO sighting miles away just a couple of years later in 1965. Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Yes, indeed, the Kecksburg incident. Mm-hmm. An incident. And this is a case that I'm sure you guys have heard of. Other podcasts have covered it. It, it, it deserves its own episode episode, in and of itself. And it's actually going to tie into another one that we're working on. But December 9th, 1965, these are just kind of the basics of this. Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, United States. A fireball is reported seen by thousands of people across six U.S. states, Canada, and you know, like major cities like Detroit, Windsor, Ontario, things like this. Astronomers say that it's likely a meteor burning up in the atmosphere and descending, and then NASA's later releases statements in uh, the mid-2000s that it was actually fragments of a Soviet satellite. But Mm -hmm. it is one of the most prolific stories in UFO lore because of uh, it appearing to be much more of a craft, potentially a bell-shaped craft. Ring any uh, bells, pun intended, anyone? (laughs) But... What's most important and the relation to these weird tablets is that the Kecksburg witnesses claimed to see some odd inscriptions on what appeared to be essentially the fuselage of this UFO, if you believe it to be a UFO. Some people claim that looking at the tablets, the photos of the tablets from Big Bend, that the markings are very similar and that there's potentially some association here. Mm-hmm. This is probably a bit of a leap, but we're looking at the photos right now, and we're going to be posting these on social media as well. And there's definitely, it's not ex- its not like it's an exact rubric or anything. You know what I mean? It's no. not like it's like matches exactly. But if you're glancing at this, there are symbols that are very similar. Very, yeah. very similar. Like nearly identical. And you have to imagine that this reinterpretation of the Kecksburg craft may or may not be that accurate, accurate. 
you know? Potentially. I don't know. Of course, yeah, because yeah, that's what we're looking at, everyone. We're we need to do this. a deeper dive into this incident. Well, and, sure, that's, but... and that's that's just it. It deserves its own episode, yeah. and, it, and it is a part of research for a future one we're working on. And and the same could be said for these tablets as well. But to be totally honest with you guys, I mean, we could have done an episode just on the tablets, but it gets a little bit bogged down and mundane with, like, you know, just researcher after researcher after researcher basically having their own interpretation of it. The reality is, is it's just a bizarre event again happening in Big Bend National Park that whether you like it or not or you think it's a hoax or not has some pretty like unexplainable associations with other strange things. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah. and that's the best part about it. Of course we are like I was I didn't finish that thought though. We're just looking at this like acorn shaped clay reinterpretation of the Kecksburg ship bell I'm assuming Satellite. this is in Pennsylvania, right? I believe yeah. so. Yeah, I think it's like I don't know if it's actually right around the crack where the crash site was supposed to be yeah, or whatever. Okay. I got to look into that. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, this is supposed to be an accurate <laughs> interpretation of what that looked like. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a leap, but of course we'll try always on into the portal to pinpoint how some of these stories could all be connected together with this bizarre phenomena within Big Bend, mm-hmm. which kind of brings us to trying to justify alien activity, because if we're going to make any <laughs> any associations to these tablets with the prospect of like either beans with the capabilities of what we've discussed, everything right? we've discussed, well, yeah. especially I think the most important would be the, the tablets, I suppose. But then, you know, unless you're chalking that up to like human, ancient human cultures that we're unaware of or pure the area. mistake or hoax or whatever. Exactly. I think the biggest one would be that uh, uh, the, not the borehole. I'm, I'm going to call it the borehole for a sure. lack of a better word, <laughs> sure. but the, the deep tunnel that was found by those two hikers back in the 40s. Yeah. But yeah, there is high strangeness and it does involve otherworldly entities. And there are reports of such things happening within Big Bend National Park. So oh, yeah. could it this all be tied together? Uh, we have a story from the 70s in 1978. Yes. Uh, there was a journalist by the name of Lewis. <laughs> this I gave I was Lewis. giving Amber I was giving Amber a hard time about this earlier. Well, Luis, I think it's Lu, well, Luis, Luis Reyes, Luis Reyes, Luis Reyes. It was just the two of them. It was him and his assistant, or in other terms, his driver. I guess. Yeah. They were en route to what's been referred to as a bio research station that was located within the perimeter of Big Bend National Park. When they realized they were totally lost, somehow. They had yeah. lost their way. I'm kind of confused because I would imagine it'd be hard to get lost in a park where there's probably not a lot of roads. Yeah, you're not taking like, oh, it's a left, then it's a right. Unless they're yeah. actually like off-roading. But if they're off-roading, that doesn't make sense because they're going to a research station. So anyways. No, I think it's just like, it's just inexplicable. You're driving straight, but somehow It's almost as if maybe there was a time slip. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Reyes and his assistant driver were in the car still, and they just kept going when... Luis actually spotted what he described as three people wandering out at a distance in the desert. They were dressed in what he described as heavy clothing, which may or may not have been protective, and were all oddly matching. Mm -hmm. They did not seem to be in any distress and walked in a uniform pace in sync. And despite it being, and I think he said not in distress because it was like really hot out. 
Right. Well, clearly him and his driver were in distress because yeah. they realized they were in the desert with very little supplies, right. which is dangerous in any circumstance, whether you have a vehicle or not. Like, obviously having a vehicle is a plus, but... 70s, no cell phones, don't want to run out of gas, that's for sure. And anyway, continue. Exactly. Yeah, they're complicating circumstances. Upon seeing these three individuals, though, uh, Reyes ordered his driver to stop and see if they could speak with the individuals was his hope. But mysteriously, the story goes that his driver, who was looking out of the exact same window right at the spot where these strange figures were walking, claimed he couldn't see anybody at all. Yeah. So Luis Reyes was on his own in sighting these three individuals. Yeah. He goes on to describe how the three... Entities, as we'll refer to them. Humanoids? Humanoids? Yeah, exactly, because they were walking on, you know, two feet, and they had two hands, and they were very humanoid-esque. It's almost like uncanny, is kind of how I would feel, like you're immediately put on edge, because they were much taller than himself, and they were also very mysteriously pale white, uh, with blonde hair, which did not match what you would probably be thinking you might see if you no. even say spot an indigenous person in the area, Definitely right? Definitely like, not. Kind of the opposite. And the driver would later go on to say that he watched Luis as he was apparently conversing outside the vehicle with nobody. Yeah, they pulled over, he gets out, driver sees exactly. nobody. Exactly. <laughs> like So Luis is just... He, 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 he's tripping, <laughs> according to his driver. But according to Reyes, he isn't quite sure himself what is happening, but he is under the impression that he may or may not be under a mirage or hallucination. These individuals may be real, but they are giving him information. So as the strange scene continues to unfold, Reyes stopped talking when he realized that he was conversing telepathically. Yeah. So he actually didn't... I would imagine this would come across as so natural that you may not. It's almost like you're thinking thoughts to yourself, but Mm -hmm. then you stop, right? Because all of it's weird. All this is strange, right? Are you actually... Maybe he was passed out. (laughs) That would be my first thought. I'd be like pinching myself. (laughs) But yeah, so basically he realized that he could hear these three people talking to him inside of his head. They are communicating with him and giving him instructions, directions more so, to this particular research facility that he was seeking. Mm -hmm. So as the conversation ends, Reyes gets back in the car, conveys this information to his driver, who is obviously more than a little skeptical. However, the directions actually prove true, and they find themselves at the facility and yeah. all, all's good for Luis Reyes and his driver's unnamed driver. Uh, but yeah. fairly strange. Could you chalk it up to perhaps some sort of... What were your first thoughts, I guess? Like, well, you know, like, are you, are you going to go the route of... Could these be ultra-terrestrials? Could they be extraterrestrials? Right. Could they be simple mirages? Well, I don't know. the one thing that's definitely unique about it is that it was a positive outcome, True. which seems to be yeah. not the norm at Big Ben or in general the paranormal mm-hmm. experiences at national parks, like, overall. But yeah. basically what this appears to be, and is mm-hmm. like what you're kind of teeing up here, 
is that these appear to be, these these appear to be ultra terrestrials or extraterrestrials that are very similar, if not exactly the same, as Nordic aliens, as they're described mm-hmm. in popular UFOlogy. And we are not experts at all. We have not done research on mm-hmm. Nordics. We've done a little bit on Greys and some other alleged types of extraterrestrials, right? But Nordic aliens are essentially humanoid extraterrestrials that are extremely tall. They're allegedly from a constellation known as the uh, Pleiades, Pleiades mm-hmm. which is a cluster of stars pretty far away, 444.2 <laughs> light years away. And uh, they allegedly resemble essentially Nordic Scandinavians, right? Tall, mm-hmm. blonde, friendly, I guess. I mean, <laughs> would that be one of the character characteristics of a, mm-hmm. of a sc- friendly Scandinavian? I don't know. Yeah. D- they were in okay, this okay. circumstance. So that's what a lot of people will kind of go to, right? They'll, they'll describe this as a classic encounter with what's called the Nordics. Yeah. Let's just peel that layer back for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get right into that, let's just talk about the layers of strangeness here because, sure, you can easily get lost in a desert in a location. If you're a journalist, if you're not familiar, you're going to cover a story and it's a huge uh, geographic area. So. Yeah. My initial skepticism there isn't entirely warranted, perhaps. Sure. Let's just go on, though, because some of the weirdest things about this is encountering three individuals on foot, apparently have no form of transportation other than their own two feet, and seem to be perfectly okay with it, aren't scorching in the sun, yet have almost translucent skin. They're so white. Right. And sure, maybe these are uh, some uh, Nordic... Uh, research uh, students, maybe, that are visiting the facility (laughs) that he's going to cover the story for. But you can't get away from the fact that the driver couldn't see them. (laughs) So either Reyes had some sort of encounter with a a protective, helpful spiritual entities, plural, Mm -hmm. of this Big Bend area, or perhaps he had an alien encounter. The thing is with these Nordics that I'm not really familiar with here, if we want to like kind of break it down even further, is the idea, like, can they appear at will to humans? Well, and that's you the know? other thing, too. It's like it's a, such a it's a pretty big leap to suggest that it's extraterrestrial when there's no sighting of a craft. There's no yeah. uh, mm-hmm. like interdimensional sort of sighting coming and Nothing going or like anything that. like that. It really yeah. is just the lack of sight from the driver. But that is sort of almost maybe mm. it's similar to what you were talking about earlier with like it was like, in, you know, selective cloaking, basically, like it only appeared to the one guy to Reyes. To be for, helpful, for whatever though. reason, though, for you whatever think? reason, yeah, why? Maybe yeah. it was, you know, could still be, have been for self-interested reasons, just in the line, the domino effect that we don't know in 1978 or Big Bend. Maybe desert. it's part of like the Men in Black, where it's like they actually there was a reason they wanted that particular journalist to go and cover that particular that story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what he was covering. Who right. knows? But. Or what kind of research facility? Like that's the other thing too. I would like to understand. We are gonna that. get to another. You well, alien encounter at the very least, a bizarre entity encounter is what mm-hmm. we'll call that one. But I feel like this is a good way to transition into kind of like the umbrella paranormal effect in this area, which mm-hmm. could be responsible for all of this, or at the very least, kind of like the doorway into mm. all of this stuff happening that we're talking about, and that is something called the zone of silence. And the reason this is a perfect transition time is because, like, I wonder if the reason why, say, the driver couldn't see 
these individuals in this particular story has something to do with the Zone of Silence, which is a place where things go missing, things can't be seen, communications are lost, bizarre bizarre things happen, just like we've been talking about. So again, very much like Skinwalker Ranch. It's one of the most bizarre geographic locations on Earth. It's essentially like a Bermuda Triangle on land. And it is right in the middle of the Chihuahuan Desert. Part of, and part a good section of it is in Big Bend Park, mm-hmm. as well as crossing over the border into the uh, Mapimi Biosphere Reserve, which actually now thinking back to the story and the description of going to like a like a special research facility. Mm. It wasn't really specific whether it was American or Mexican. Yeah. Reyes, so it could, have been, could have been, it could have been on, on the other side of the uh, a research facility on the other side of the border. It's not that significant. What well, I mean, kind of is though. I mean, anyway, <laughs> but this is essentially, yeah. So the, the, the same goes for on the other side of the border though, pretty much completely uninhabited 400,000 rough hectares in this bar in that reserve. They're using hectares there for that description. Mm. But flat, desolate terrain and, you know, the various mountain outcrops, ancient volcanoes, the same as in Big Bend. And this is all within the area of the park that we're discussing today, all this high strangeness. The zone of silence seems to essentially be, I mean, if not a geomagnetic anomaly, it's, there's a, there's, <clears throat> there's definitely at least that going on because, like I said, it's like a land-bound Bermuda Triangle where somehow, some way, the laws of nature just don't, they don't function the same way. And I think hmm. that that is a perfect opportunity to open the gateway, so to speak, for a lot of these other phenomena that we're talking about today. And for like decades and decades, there's been stories that have come from within the zone of encounters that corroborate the stories we've just talked about. Encounters with strange beings, like these tall Nordic-like entities, weird lights in the sky, which we're actually not really getting into into in this episode, but there's actually these lights called the Marfa lights that are very similar to the Australian lights. Oh, that the Min-Min, the lights. Min-Min mm-hmm. lights. Just sort of these non-ballistic UFO type aqua lele, like sentient objects. Hmm. Uh, and also a weird abundance of meteor showers that take place uh, inexplicably. Mm, which and do have an explanation. Th- yeah, I mean, they do. Sometimes the shape of what lands is a little bit odd. Um, perfect spheres, which is really, un- it's per- it's unique to the area, I guess mm-hmm. is what I should say. It's not inexplicable, but it's it's a scientific anomaly for that location. But yeah, pretty, pretty ominous name. One that it's kind of a little bit sort of vague as to when it was coined, but probably as early as the 1930s, there's a reference to a Mexican pilot named, I think it was Franz, I actually think it was Francisco Pena, which it was the same name as a professor we had, but I am the missing the last name in here, but it's Francisco something. But this has been something experienced by farmers, people living on the periphery of the park since at least the turn of the century into mm. the te- te- teens and 20s and 30s. But then officially given the name in the 60s, when Femex or Pemex, a Mexican national oil company, sent an expedition team in to explore the area, and the leader of the expedition, a guy named Augusto Harry de la Peña, oh, there's Peña there, Mm. maybe I was getting that confused, he was basically just riddled with issues. The expedition was a total disaster because they had no communications. The radios wouldn't work, Mm -hmm. a lot of other equipment wouldn't work properly, issues with vehicles. Okay, so that's kind of where the name's coming in. The zone of silence. Mm -hmm. It's sort of self-explanatory, right? (laughs) And 
I had to toss this in here, and I've already mentioned Montezuma once, but this phenomenon is actually something experienced by the ancient indigenous peoples of the area as well, uh, who do have a link to the ancient Aztecs because they spoke the uh, Uto-Aztecan language and were there for a ridiculously long time and their exact origins are unknown. So maybe the high strangeness related to a lot of the history of that could be related to the zone of silence and the wonder, origins hmm. of these peoples too. I'm curious how That's they would have experienced case, that, hey? Like, because I don't know, like, I wonder what types of technologies would have been affected. I think it would have been more like the guy we, guy we just described with Reyes, like where you're, you're going one way and all of a sudden you're inexplicably just lost. Um, you know, it's not like you have radios back then, but yeah, it would be like, like just sort of like getting disoriented, I think would be the main one. Um, hmm. and also, you know, things kind of like dial off passy kind of type yeah, those effects, winds, right? Like, Where yeah. you just inexplicable weather phenomena and also just, yeah, like just messing with your head. But the first real case that really brought this, uh, to the forefront, at least for the Americans was <laughs> the downing of a missile. Uh, the Athena missile, which was launched from White Sands Missile Base. Mm-hmm. But inexplicably, it went completely off course. They lost all oh. communications with it, radar, and it descended directly towards the center of the Zone of Silence in Big Bend National Park. Okay. 16,000-pound missile that had the most advanced technology associated with it completely plummeted to the ground in an unknown location that they couldn't track within the park. And this was a little bit uh, iffy because obviously it's a missile mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's crashing. It's Cold War era. Right, like... it's Cold War era, technically. I mean... I don't know if this is a hot spot. Or no, but uh, but remember. but definitely, you know, it's right on the border. So the Mexicans really, like, aren't going to be thrilled spot, about like, this. Like the year, like there were certain years where everything kind of ramped up and everything right. cooled off. And, you know, so yeah, it, it, got, it got to such an extreme degree though i'll say that they actually had to bring in uh henry kissinger like famous what what would you call him what was he international relations specialist political scientist guy really (laughs) uh to help negotiate things along with the americans just just on a political level diplomatically to help smooth things over because it was like hey sorry we accidentally uh exploded a missile in your country but uh (laughs) was he not like a vice president at one point or I thought he was British, wasn't he? Or was he? No, he was American, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely American. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, he always just struck me as a, you know why I say that? Because he's always brought up in Faulty Towers. He was actually German-born, but he was an American politician. There you go, that makes sense. Basil Faulty just likes to bring up Henry Kissinger in, like, a lot of his explanations for things. So I think that's why I made that association. He was never vice president. He was national security advisor. There you go, that makes sense. Presidential administrations, Nixon and Ford. There you go. Crazy. So, yeah, they had to bring in, uh, he had to get some kisses, the Kissinger. <laughs> Smooth things over. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing was obviously recovering the missile. And yeah. the military sends their team into the desert to recover this, but they are really struggling to find the crash site. They can't f- recover the remains of the missile. Hmm. The Mexican military is also out in the Chihuahuan Desert, and they're in the zone of silence adjacent to the mm. Big Bend. And the recovery efforts are the same, going completely awry. They all lose communications with each other. The group's walkie-talkies aren't working. Compasses are spinning in circles and other bizarre malfunctions. And at first, they think that might maybe this is something to do with the downed missile itself. Is this some sort of a weird effect from the missile itself? 
But basically what we have here is... on that missile is my first question. Yeah, exactly, right? Hopefully not a nuke or something. That would be a bit sketchier than even uh, (laughs) anything else. But we have essentially an extreme level of, like, electromagnetic frequencies and or other things that are severely affecting mechanical instruments and anything like that. It's the Bermuda Triangle on land. It's a little less scary because you're not going to sink into the depths of the ocean. Mm Mm-hmm but still pretty bizarre and unexplainable. Yeah, what's better, crashing into a desert or crashing into uh, an ocean? <laughs> Both terrible. Both awful, right? <laughs> this, a similar thing would happen uh, over the same area, too, or just a few years later, actually, and this was um, pulled from a really awesome little Astonishing Legends article on their website, where uh, there was an upper stage of one of the boosters from an Apollo uh, project <clears throat> rocket, that broke off and fell into the zone of silence. Interesting. Oh, wow. So there you go. So wait, did they ever end up recovering it or this this rocket from the 70s and They seven, did or? end up recovering. Yeah. Yeah, they did. End it up just took it. a long time. It yeah. just wasn't, they couldn't track it. There was no, hmm. they had to venture into the vast it. expanses of the zone of silence to try to find the needle, wow. needle in the haystack. Well, that is very interesting. And, you know, could there be a terrestrial explanation for this? Could there be, you know, to these malfunctions, to these um, massive amounts of meteors showering down and killing livestock and injuring farmers and all this (laughs) kind of stuff? Because definitely this is something that is very regular. Uh, These burning chunks of rock raining from the sky and getting it's pulled a, out of the sky it feels like it, yeah quite quite literally because the geographic area of big bend is highly magnetic right and it's uh it might be because of that fact that we see more and more meteors per capita i guess which fall in this region yeah. this zone yeah. than anywhere on earth these little Near-perfect round orbs are called weholas, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they are metallic-based. Like, they do have, uh, not, not like, they're, like, metal orbs, like, flying around or anything like that, but like they do have... Like a pure metal orb, it's not like that. <laughs> Yeah, like a, like, exactly. Not like I'm talking, like, you know, like, natural, orbs that people see. Natural the, metals we're talking exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. They got, like, high amounts of iron in them or something, right. or whatever. Maybe this has something to do with this strange missile misfiring or incident or whatever you want to call it oh yeah i got sucked right down yeah yeah exactly it's just again for this reason and many other reasons it's just become one of those areas where even people you have a reference to von braun here when then oh yes von braun former nazi yeah people go there to explore and try to figure out what the heck's going on here and he was one of the people that actually did that he went into the zone of silence to see if he could investigate on behalf of the American government. Yep, sent in there after cool. the incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, because obviously they want to understand. This is right along a border, right? So, again, politics plays into things. Yeah. That was kind of my first thought when we looked at this story about the the missile. And it's totally, yeah, and that part of it is, like, is definitely explainable. Where mm-hmm. it's, like, there's, it's super resource-rich with throughout the park, where it's highly mm-hmm. magnetic, tons of metal resources. Yeah. Also, Mercury. Mm-hmm. There was a Mercury mine called the Mar- Mariscal Mine. Uh, it closed down in the 1940s. You know, I mean, do aliens need Mercury? No. <laughs> I mean, the, because <laughs> because obviously a place that's so resource rich. But I feel like most national parks are going to be pretty resource rich. But even if you go, yeah, exactly, sure, sure. 
But stepping away from the idea of even just, like, introducing extraterrestrials into the equation, just the idea that this alone could cause a lot of inexplicable anomalies on the surface that, oh, yeah. like, you 100%. know, play out as these mysteries we were talking about today. Like, I'm not saying that the fact that it's highly magnetic can cause disembodied screams or no, <laughs> no, no, like but, no, but what, no, but what it, it does potentially have connections to is just other paranormal activity. Like the well, reason yeah. I'm throwing out that question is because it's like, would it be a re like a resource rich, weird, electromagnetic anomalous area? may have a particular attraction for a reason that we can't pinpoint mm-hmm. with something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, totally. Leading to the encounters, or at least the one, we have one more that's coming up here in a sec, but mm-hmm. anyway, tossing it out there. Tossing it. Tossing it. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the disembodied <laughs> screams is a, is a much tougher one to associate. Yeah. Because unless you, unless we go full Ghostbusters here, and it's, it's, Amber's giving me the weird eyes, but it is associated with real science. The idea of like electromagnetic fields, manipulating electromagnetic Mm. fields in highly already places that have ridiculous amount of like that energy going on to potentially manipulate space, time, other things. They performed a bunch of experiments there. Like that Von Braun was there for a while. Mm -hmm. They set up uh, a few different uh, research and test facilities, most of which is uh, uh, been released with the Freedom of Information Act and a good chunk of it is redacted. Mm -hmm. What did they, what did they, yeah, which is typical. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a nefarious thing or it's really hiding something. It could have been like Von Braun out of, you know, yeah, it could have been nothing. <laughs> could have been nothing. Oh, yeah. The fact that he's a former not former Nazi uh, getting sent in there, yeah. a, paper, a paperclip, paperclip Nazi, mm-hmm. is, is definitely interesting. That is quite interesting. I, oh, man, again, all the things I will never know. I know, I right? go and interview these people. Well, I mean, here, okay, here's the, here's, the other, here's the other weird association with this. It's not just, like, terrestrial. So this disruption that we're talking about, this weird electro, or not electro, but this weird... guaranteed magnetic field and other stuff is partly caused by subterranean deposits of uh, magnetite from meteorites. So it's, it is substance that has been deposited from, from, yeah, exactly. And people think that perhaps this could have been the site of a larger meteor. Yeah. Yeah. Like the entire park Mm -hmm. itself. But that is an interesting thing to mention though as well just because maybe that is so connected with the idea of well one bizarre ancient tablets being there if they are indeed true how'd they get there and why i mean it would either require time travel or something just way vastly like different prehistory that would change the course of everything mm-hmm. get out of here columbus we were here way before you buddy yeah, well, right and i don't talk- doubt that already but you know like not but this would be like way before this way, would be yeah, like exactly, kincaid's yeah. cave level True. Type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I love these little meteorites. It's awesome. It's like throughout the whole 20th century, these have been documented and landing in the Chihuahuan Desert, in the zone, near the zone. And uh, I particular, I'm falling on this exact same ranch where they documented <laughs> it in 38, 54, and 69 uh, in the uh, Allende Valley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the quote here was, it woke me up and I saw... Um, what, how does the that firmamental light? Yeah, the firmamental light. Uh, right. It, that, yeah, that'd be a sight to see, man. I would <laughs> love to see that. Ah, uh, yeah, that would be quite interesting. Be so sick. The big fireball. A tremendous noise too, hey. Right. So maybe that is part of. Uh, well, that would be more of a boom, I'd imagine, not like a shriek or a wail or a howl or a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a tough mm-hmm. sell. 
and just screaming just, meteors. Just screaming <laughs> meteors. And maybe the Nordic guys that talked to Reyes were like, I don't know, just That's actually interested a fun in these band types of, name. That actually is a really screaming meteors. <laughs> I do want to make a point of saying here though that there's a bunch of other articles that document this. There's just not a lot of names associated with it. Yeah. Uh, there's Atlas Obscura had a great article on on the Zone of Silence and me- mm. makes mention of encounters with tall, fair-haired humanoid entities that uh, a whole bunch of different people encounter. They claim that they speak perfect Spanish. Um, so this happens oh. a lot on the Mexican side of the border and hmm. as well in, in on the Texas side as well. But it's, I just find that... Perfect I just find it strange. It's like, what are, you, what are you there and chatting with people for? But this leads me into this next account. And I think this is a connection possibly to Luis Reyes because we don't have like a craft. We don't have really anything there, but we're trying to make this association with like possibly alien mining and associations with weird ancient stuff in the park. But this one came from 1975. So we were just talking about the 70s. So here we are again. October 13th, 1975. Ernesto... And Josefina Diaz, young couple, they're driving uh, in the park, exploring, and they end up heading into the area of the Zone of Silence. They had just bought a Ford pickup truck, so they wanted to, like, test it out on the tough terrain and go for a little adventure. So they decided to go out in this area. They venture into the Zone of Silence, and like the other people, like the nickels and stuff, they wanted to, like, take pictures and collect cool rocks and fossils. So as they were exploring... Everything was going fine, and they didn't really notice that there was actually quite a large desert storm forming Hmm. and heading in their direction pretty quickly because it wasn't really making noise, I guess. But as it got closer, they finally noticed this and were pretty nervous about a flash flood, which can happen in these areas, I guess. So they decided to quickly pack everything up. They'd found a few things, pack it all up, and head out. But they were way too slow in their packing. And as they get in the truck, the rain started down so heavily that the soil was just instantly turned to mud and they were completely stuck. Hmm. Stuck in the flash flood. Stuck in the flash flood. They quickly get out of their car and are attempting to dig out their vehicle, but they're having absolutely no success. They just have their small little shovels. So they're struggling in this torrential downpour when they look up and they see something very strange, just like Luis Reyes. They see two figures approaching them, which they later would describe as, quote, very tall men. Both of these men were wearing bright yellow matching raincoats and hats, and they offered the Diaz help with their car. They're out in the middle of nowhere. These guys did not have a vehicle of their Hmm. own. But okay, once again, the helpful Nordics show up in Big Bend National Park, potentially. Mm -hmm. So oddly enough, these men just basically said, hey guys, get back in the car. They told them to get back in their Ford and they started up the truck and as soon as they turned on the ignition again, they heard a pop and realized that their car was just in an instant back on solid ground. He gets out to try to thank the men for their help, but they had vanished. The men had disappeared. And what was the most strange is that what would be really easy to show footprints in the mud, as the rain was kind of like letting up, I guess, at this point, there was nothing there. The men were gone no footprints, no vehicle tracks, or any evidence of any tools or anything at all that the men might have used to help free the truck from the mud. So the question is, yeah, who who were they? And why are they so helpful? And why do they look so weird? And why are you at Big Bend? Hmm. Is the most important one. Mm-hmm. Why Southern Texas? Why Big Bend? It's just a weird place to be. 
Yeah. I guess. I mean, but I guess you could say that for anything. Why be there? Why be here? I mean, but <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, it's hmm. weird for them to be anywhere, I guess. Yeah. But that was just another story to help corroborate the Luis Reyes account. And, you know, we haven't actually seen huh. stories of like these things walking out of craft or walking no. out of portals. But there have been crafts seen and there have been things that suggest that portals might exist. These strange disembodied screams, vanished people, whatever it might be. Well, that's uh, quite the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I agree. It is. Well, Well, yeah, by all accounts, there's not much else you can say to that. that, That's a fair response, just to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but we can like, you know, talk about a few things here. Like there's, there are some parallels with uh, the first encounter that I talked about with the journalist, Luis Reyes. That's right. Again, uh, multiple figures appear seemingly from within nowhere, you know? Coming out of the... The ether? The, yeah, the multiple we don't dimensions? Really know. We don't really uh, know where they're coming from. They just appear. Terrestrial beings? Again, right, in groups. And then having similar appearances within the group, but then also... Two th- groups, if you're comparing the, the group of three to the group of two. 100%. You know what I mean? Well, and the one, and I mentioned earlier when we were just chatting before we before we even re- recorded the episode, it was like a comparison to me to like Indrid Cold, who was kind of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also this offer of help that's quite interesting. Almost like an act of good uh, Samaritanism, if you want to call it that, for sure. But that in itself is almost contradicting to the other sort of like more unexplained or perhaps frightening phenomena that we've discussed throughout the episode. But beyond that, yeah, let's just get into this because I, and you mentioned this, you were talking about how there's no obvious craft. There's no vehicle associated with these beings who are in the middle of seemingly nowhere right like there's not a lot going around yeah like uh, yeah that's obviously a big one because you're like okay well one obviously we're making frequent references to ufos (coughs) aliens quote unquote here Mm -hmm. so it would be nice to have some sort of a reference point as to where they're coming from and i'm glad you at least used the word ultra terrestrial because that i think Uh, that does sort of match up with a lot of the stuff associated with the nordics other than some of the original alleged encounters where it's classic like abductee hopping a ufo fly around type stuff i can mention that in a sec but mm-hmm. yeah no no craft no craft no either craft of these cases. um and then one thing i'll mention that is sort of a difference i guess you could say is the lack of a mention uh, of telepathy in the second account here mm. there is no real obvious like you know it just says here they offered um, the Diaz's help with their car. So, you know, like, it doesn't really say how they offered help. Like, yeah. maybe they were in such a state that they didn't actually even realize. But, you know, you can't make those assumptions. But Well, yes, you can. We're doing it right now. We're doing it now, but that I'm not a, saying it's definitive. It's a fair so. assumption to make, though. I mean, it's a stressful situation. It's a, You're trying to I'm get out of it. I'm throwing it out there. You may not have assuming. Not. Yeah, you might have not noticed. <laughs> it's a possibility. That someone's communicating with you <laughs> telepathically. Because they were in kind of like a more of a uh, panicked state of mind versus like, you know, well, I guess both of them would have been really if you're kind of like, you know, you're either lost or you're like stuck. Yeah, but Rails wasn't as so much panicked. Like he's the one who wanted to stop to make sure that they were okay slash ask for directions, I guess, but just to mm. find out what they were doing there. That was his cover. 
It's like the so, classic. So, no, that is the classic <laughs> mansplaining. Oh yeah. Didn't want to ask for directions, but he's pulling over to see if they're okay. Except he's not driving <laughs> with his girlfriend. <laughs> so. Well, maybe it was his boyfriend. Okay. It possible. Could have been. been. Quite possible. Yeah, you're talking about wild speculations here. <laughs> okay. I think that's about as good a transition as any to the end of the episode. (laughs) And what I like to call the theories section, Amber does not like to call the theories section Mm. because we pontificate and have crazy ideas and and theories for the entire episode. All the time. But I obviously wanted to try to tie a little bit of this together for you guys. And we reached out on social media, like before we recorded this episode and uh, shout out to uh, the spooky science sisters because they had a, a great little like TikTok video that they did on Big Bend and just kind of all of this like encapsulated in their little video. And there's a lot of forums that talk about all of this phenomena and we're just kind of dipping our toes into TikTok, but there's a lot of people who obviously reach out on that to post videos of themselves or of their experiences at parks. And so when I reached out on Facebook to just like within our forum, the uh, Into the Portal podcast forum, and come join us if you haven't on Facebook, there was a few people that were like, hey, I saw this on a few different threads and it's kind of weird. You should check it out. And it was people basically claiming something that I didn't realize has been going on for quite a long time, but claims of feral wild relic hominids within the parks. And I, I'm actually throwing the title relic hominids on hmm. because that's how okay. kind of how it reads to me. But for a layman who's just on TikTok screaming and wailing about running into basically like it's basically like wrong turn for the people who have seen that film, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. uh, Or The Hills Have Eyes, yeah. similar to this type of thing. Like subhuman, yeah. wild, feral kind of, you know what I mean? Like monstrous. Like they're human, but they're just, they're, they've been out they're, there maybe inbreeding for a couple not, too many well, decades, that's what I mean. yeah, they're, they're not, they're not hominids and the fact <laughs> right. that they're biologically distinct from us other than the fact that they may have been inbreeding well, for just, generations. Exactly. You know? yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is kind of bizarre, but okay, some people are claiming that this is actually the reason for the bone chilling screams perhaps that are heard, you know, echoing throughout canyons and stuff like that. And then people don't really venture to see because they're like, okay, that's the creepy, or the creepy, <laughs> <laughs> the creepy screams. Hey, I just shortened it. Perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. The creepy screams of the cheese, <laughs> the cheese mountains. <laughs> that's a mouthful. Oh man. Hmm. But I mean, I had to slap relic hominid on there because I'm like, okay, if this is so remote and out in big bend, could that make sense? I I, hmm. I don't know. I mean, people were were sending me these links, and it was definitely interesting. Go check yeah. out some of these TikTok videos. That's cool. Click. Check us out on TikTok. Oh well, just a quick yeah. plug. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do a little video about this about other people, basically saying I'm never going to the national parks again, man, because I saw this happen. Well, you know and, what? Let me just comment on this quickly because I think that there could be something to this. I'm not going to slap on relic hominids because I feel like that's almost like too classy of a term to I'm, use yeah, in I'm this instance. I know. I, yeah. Because I think if anything, it's just people that are like F the world and like, yeah. I'm just going to go live in a park. Right. And maybe that was in the seventies and now they're still there and it's 2022 now. <laughs> so yeah. they might not look quite human and modern in the way right. that we might imagine. So th- this is this is more of an urban legend is basically what we're, what we're saying I, here, I folks. definitely think there's pockets of this in the United States for sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. And then it gets it gets expanded into a broader urban legend of of just they're everywhere in the parks. And I don't, I don't think that's the explanation for the screams is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I okay, okay. Different thing. Yeah. I don't think that there's 
So why are we talking about rabid, this anyway? Rabid. Well, it was a listener's <laughs> suggestion. It was like, hey, this is what people say is like, and this is across all par- all of state parks, which is interesting. It's like, well, there's such a wide geographic area right. encompassing each of these parks. You it, know, it's sure. it's fantastic. And I just thought, you know? okay, Big Bend, we've been saying it's the most, it's the least visited and the and super, you know, remote. So hey, it'd be a great place for a cannibal uh, subhuman population to just hang out and maybe poach the odd hiker mm, here I, and there i see you're throwing in style throwing in uh <clears throat> cannibalism too perhaps <laughs> well that's some of the claims on tiktok the tiktoks here i sound like my dad well hey if you're hungry enough i mean if you're out there for that hey, <laughs> it's like holes with the onions except way worse <laughs> Right, <laughs> just had to re- resort to some other things. I don't okay. even remember that part of the movie, but anyways. <laughs> what do you mean? They're eating the onions. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? The survival I onions. Shia LaBeouf in a really bad movie. What? Well, the book <laughs> was good. The book was better, probably. Than I, you know, I, yeah, I'm exactly. not here to defend holes. I've never read the books. So. The next thing we definitely have to address here, though, is obviously the encounters that Amber just finished addressing: the alien activity, possibly or Nordic activity in the park, which is super weird. And mm-hmm. we tried to make yeah. some associations earlier with, like, the strange geological features in the park, you know, ancient volcanic range. There's lots of quartz deposits throughout the Chisos and the park itself, crossing the border into the Biosphere res- Reserve in Mexico as well. And apparently there's a lot of uranium throughout the Chihuahuan Desert, too. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot going on. And so you, it makes uranium wonder, is quite valuable, obviously, in the production of atomic weapons. To, to humans, Yes. Absolutely. Perhaps other things. Indeed. Just nuclear idea. energy, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, it's obviously a big leap to just suggest, hey, these people were running into strange, really tall, definitely like not human Nordic beings, and then this is why they're here. It's just kind of like, it's, hmm. it's a jumbo. People are definitely like trying to make that leap. Mm-hmm. And we referenced earlier too, like there's lots of UFO sightings in the park. And there are, but they're yeah. not like they're not famous. And meteorite sightings, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's that's the misnomer too. It's like UFO, like to some people they're seeing what is the, these classic strange being pulled down meteorite sightings in the park. Yeah. So it's just hard for me to kind of make these connections, especially when when you research Nordics specifically. Mm-hmm. There's definitely not a lot of associations other than these few accounts with Big Bend. Uh, George Adamski is the one big name that'll come up when you, when you, Mm -hmm. when you search Nordics. A very curious ufologist. Curious fellow indeed had Mm -hmm. some strange claims. He published a few different books, uh, in, I believe it was in the fifties and sixties and he took photographs Mm -hmm. that became really famous. Yes. That were widely denounced by people such as uh, J. Allen Hynek and uh, various other people. So that doesn't really work very well for us to say, okay, well, here's an example of what is a craft associated with these, these beans might look like it just doesn't really work no no i wonder though because he he claimed to have encounters and visitations actually be abducted if i'm not mistaken i I love just the abduction for the joyride right well the the idea that we're just gonna take yeah exactly we're gonna take you on this adventure and just show you everything it's like a voyeurism kind of like like a couple of good bros we're just gonna show you around why you know what i mean that's kind of that's the big question and that was just it like he literally called them that it was something he referred to them as like space, space brothers, brothers. Yeah. yeah nordic alien space brothers that took them on flights to the moon and other planets i feel mm-hmm. like the claim of going to the moon is dubious just in and of itself because it's like guys wouldn't you just skip the moon well there's the gotta moon, be cooler things for claimed, you to show you than the moon come on he, he claimed to be in contact with he called the venusians and uh in oh, particular the there was one yes. 1952 encounter in a 
remote patch of Californian desert in which he encountered a very beautiful, as he kind of recounts it, this, like, Nordic again with, like, you know, like, Aryan type with, like, the blonde hair, the blue eyes, the soft as a baby's bottom skin. All this kind of weird stuff. But this guy was something. He actually went around and he was a celebrity and he would lecture. He went around and and did national tours. He actually uh, widely, he widely encouraged the press to call him Professor George Adamski. Yeah, no credentials. <laughs> no credentials at all. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty funny. Anyway, I, I think he was character. Like, I think he was Polish, but he was yeah. Austrian-born. He was like an Austrian-born Polish writer. Was basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very so anyway, interesting. That guy. was the only. You know, so there's not a lot of. If only he was uh, had a couple of abduction accounts from hanging out at the Chisos Mountain Lodge. Or something like that. That would have been great. Yeah, he wrote a lot of books. The only other thing I really wanted to mention, though, in association with UFOs, just to try to kind of like tie that up for everybody here. Huh? (laughs) We'll bring it back. Well, (laughs) was um, a UFO (laughs) account that I had actually never heard of before, but is really famous, and we're going to cover it. I'm telling you that right now. The Mm -hmm. Mexican Roswell incident. I can't believe we hadn't heard of this before. I guess Hmm. we're also just not a UFO show outright, a Hmm. UFOlogy show. But it happened in 1974, which is right in and around when a lot of the stories we've discussed today are August 25th, right along the Rio Grande River, right along the Texas border. It's a little bit of a distance from the direct center of the Chisos, like about an hour away, like driving, but to the border of the park, less, a Mm -hmm. town called Presidio, uh, Presidio, Texas. There's a massive explosion, and basically there was a midair collision with a military craft Mm. and a unknown craft. Hmm. Like, I'm not going to, this, we'd be here for another two hours if I was to go into all of this, and it deserves its own episode. But this was an inf- a famous event. There was a scramble to try to recover the, the wreckage. Wow. Very similar to, like, what was, you know, the classic Roswell incident, which there was the, you know, the spin for ages as to what that was. What weather balloon, it was this, it was that. But just kind of curious. Um, right around the same time. Weather balloon. Not necessarily associated with these Nordic characters, but... I had to at least bring it up because the only other like massive amounts of UFO sightings in the park are not ones where it's like there's a craft, there's someone being abducted. It's the Marfa lights, which are very much like the Min Min's, which are mm-hmm. definitely paranormal mm-hmm. and maybe coming from another place, interdimensional, mm-hmm. and could be tied to these Nordics, but it's not a UFO, like traditionally as we're kind of referencing here, like a craft. He so. says here flying disc, which... Again, yeah, that's interesting. It's traveling at about 2,000 yeah. miles per hour, colliding with a small airplane. And this is in 1974. I do have several things coming to mind right now, and I think it's because we are currently in the research for another episode that we will be covering shortly, probably the next month. Yes. So I don't want to say too much. But the fact that the idea that there was like a big scramble between these two governments, really interesting. And I, I, I really want to cover that. I've never heard of this we one before. So we got to look into it more. And we'll more. have more UFO stuff coming down the pipe for you guys shortly. 2022 will be a little Oh, definitely. Bit more the one I'm per- referencing right now is a Patreon-specific episode. But we're going to have some more UFO stuff because I think maybe that should just be it. A recurring theme. Yeah. I've also kind of proposed to Andrew a biography series. Of just really weird people. Interesting people. So I, agree. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally I'm just like a J. Allen Hynek and like these types of figures episode. possibly. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and to tease again, like, I mean, it's the Nazi bell that's coming on Patreon. It is, yeah. Uh, and we're, we've taken a little longer with that, so thank you for your patience, but it's going to be quite detailed. So uh, mm. we're looking forward to presenting. That'll probably be two, maybe three parts even. Maybe. Definitely two. Mm-hmm. So lastly, 
we were trying to tie together all of this with the quite strange story of the hot springs tablets, these strange ancient tablets, yes. alleged ancient tablets. The that clay tablets. Could possibly be linked to some sort of at least paranormal activity in the park. Is it possibly related in any possible way to these just out of the clear blue sky appearance of non-human Nordic beings that appear to be ultra terrestrial? And then here you have something that shouldn't be here that's super ancient. Does, is it a pure hoax? Or did it hmm. maybe appear there somehow? Is it some sort Ooh, of... is it like a dark scenario where it's like literally like there's a wormhole right? that opens up and this thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, okay, so I'm going to try to articulate that a little bit better than how I just phrased it. Because <laughs> that just was not that great. But basically, you know, most people think this was a hoax created by the the Nichols and Donald Uzo, the, the son-in-law. But... I don't think, and a lot of the resources that I've looked at don't really think that this party in particular would have been capable, quite frankly, mm. and or interested in coming up with a hoax like this. And if they were going to, okay. it would have been a little bit more on the nose, like Egyptian hieroglyphics or... Okay. Just let me finish. Before, or, or things like that, right? It's literally just like the biggest, like, shit mix, for lack of a better word, of Greek... Uh, and Lycian symbols that were used by, like, a whole slew of different ancient peoples that make kind of no sense. It just it just seems like a weird hoax. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just... Okay, so there's, like, there's a few different scenarios we can kind of draw out from that, then. The, 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 one, the first one is obviously, yeah, the hoax scenario, that this is something that they created from, say, their own imaginings, or perhaps they used reference books to create something or magazines they a saw pictures sl- in magazines exactly it's kind of weird though because for it to make any sense at all doesn't really make sense unless yeah. the translators are in error which is sure yeah. so then there's the other scenario where it's like perhaps this was written in earnest by someone who knew ancient was a greek and lycian and basically had had like what you're calling yeah this mix of languages right because that occurs quite often and we even referred to that in the uh aztec ute languages right right? when peoples join they often get this amalgamation of things sure so there's that could it be a third scenario where you mix in some sort of interdimensionality or something like that i don't know Okay. I don't know. But anyway, that's, sorry, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. No, that's but. obviously... No, you're not at all. That's totally... I'm great... trying to give them some credit. No, like, that's a fair assessment. But the, the thing is, too, that I also want to reference is the fact that they were out in the desert to take photographs and to look for petroglyphs. Yeah. They would have had to have set it up, like, a couple of days before, a few weeks before, mm-hmm. to make it look like it did if it really was just, like, the yeah. river silt yeah. made to look like... Like, it's just... It's the classic, like, if someone was going to do this as a hoax and told me that they were going to do this, I would slap them in the face and tell them that this is the stupidest attempt at a hoax, like, ever. Even though it, like, this is the Mr. Magoo of hoaxes, right? You stumble and bumble your way into this actually being, like, a misinterpreted archaeological find if that's what you genuinely tried to do because it was just so on the nose. Like, Mm -hmm. but, but, but not at the same time. It's like, even some researchers argued that it was like Phoenician or Hebrew. Well, some, there's a some, whole some mix of, of different things. Yeah, they didn't really have any conclusive. And so you're right. It's like they could have just been a, a, a mix. Like I'm looking, I'm going to take, let me pull every ancient book off the shelf and we're going to put together this thing and it just is really weird 
and it's a mix of ancient stuff. The other thing is that they literally uh, plagiarized it from a magazine or some sort of literature that had an image of a a transcription on a wall that they just took verbatim from that photograph in that thing that was a legit but then it wouldn't have been so hard prayer. To, but then it might have been not been so hard to translate though unless they did such a poor job of but because it. because it was this like graffiti type like mix of languages it definitely would have been hard to you know translate hmm. the other thing is like well I, no one's done enough digging to uncover whether or not this exact same prayer has been found before yeah. in other yeah. sources you know right. so it's one yeah. of those classic situations it's exactly the same as things like the hexam heads or anything like that you could say and it's like are these people just making it all up mm-hmm. yeah maybe they are maybe they are they're not really getting that much out of it no they're kind of just getting did they write books did they go on lecture circuits they're kind of just getting shit on they didn't have any artifacts they could display they could charge a fee for people to go and see exactly like there's a you know there's a lot of that's the part about doing a hoax it's like there's a big difference between like that hoax and some of the like lake monster hoaxes we've talked i can't even think of any off the top Mm. of my head but i think there was one famous one in new york where they kept doing it over and over and over again to like get (laughs) really to get guests back to like a resort oh there was like a famous lake (laughs) monster and so they pulled like a like a murdoch mysteries where they had like the the humps appearing to attract people though as opposed to repelling people because ironically yeah Mm -hmm. but i mean okay what i was trying to get at ultimately here because Mm -hmm. the national park service and i think most academics are going to say that this you know without them being able to get their hands on it the at best what they can do is translate the, the symbols so they've tried to do that they can't say really whether or not it was an ancient piece of tablet or not because it allegedly, quote unquote, disintegrated. And we can't prove that or not. But I'm going to say this as an aspiring master's student of archaeology. Like <laughs> the tablets look very recently made. Mm-hmm. They do not look old, mm-hmm. like qu- to be totally honest with you. So there's this idea suggested that basically this was like literally the National Park Service says this was doodled in the mud by a kid mm-hmm. hanging out with his family on a camping trip in the 60s near the hot springs and then this family found it they weren't claiming Kids that the nickels don't draw exactly or I'm some sorry. or some, neither do a neither does anyone neither unless does you were anyone. making up a fake language i actually used to make up code languages when i was a and kid, it just happens to be why near you, perfect you would put it in your fun little notebook you know your it little detective look mystery like Hebrew notebook and, and greek and no. lycian it's just not gonna look like that so mm. it's very strange and so this is what i'm saying the tablets aren't old, but I believe, you know, the fact that they're recent maybe ties into some of this other stuff. It's not a mistake. It's mm-hmm. not a hoax. Mm-hmm. But could they have been recently made, but still by an ancient person, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And what we're dealing with here is some sort of time slips occurring. Someone lost, like very much how other people will be lost in the park. Maybe the reason for the screams. The Ooh. Nordic, the Nordics, Ooh. where are these people coming from? Maybe hmm. there is some sort of slippage happening here. And well, this is a cry for help of someone who accidentally walked through the same veil that these rando Nordics are appearing from in the dead center of the Chisos. Maybe. Maybe. Not even drawing I mean, the Nordics just, into it, though, but just looking at the actual subject of the prayer and the fact that it seemed to be such a dire circumstance that whoever wrote it was trying to speak to and asking for Mithra's help and things like that. It's, and it's, it, it's it does. Dire. Yeah, yeah, that's, it does make me think that someone making inhuman screams that might be that desperate might be making oh, a prayer like yeah. that. So maybe there's a connection between those. Like a way more ancient ghost beyond the naming of the Chisos mm-hmm. as, the, as the Spanish naming Ghost Mountain Range exactly. or the Bruja Canyon or whatever. And it is some sort of like, yeah, just like eons old, just like 
echo of a warning maybe of like this place is dangerous and you know i don't know i think there is there is definitely probably some merit to the idea that obviously chisos translates a spirit ghost that type of thing you know like and the idea of being trapped there right mm -hmm. and i think obviously we have physical evidence of that with the zone of silence and like modern technology of like things being pulled down and physically trapped Mm -hmm. and we actually talked about that a little bit with the spectral empress a halloween episode with the idea of energies being trapped because of the geological landscape yeah. and stuff so like that ties into it too There's the limestone it's, 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 <laughs> we have brought you guys nothing but a mixed bag here if you got lost anywhere in this episode i don't blame you i tried I think to I keep it lost. as coherent as possible <laughs> we tried to, we tried to steer the ship here you know and so you're welcome everyone from texas who was asking us to cover big bend national park we, i wanted us to we, cover it too it was well, really cool it was awesome yeah it was awesome i want to go there i do too and we're going to go to uh, Arizona, too, and go hit up uh, Grand Canyon. Oh, big time. And Ooh. Grand Canyon's actually the one where I think the most people go missing. Oh. But it's also one of the most visited, so that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. And it's really steep. Don't be a dummy. <laughs> Don't be a dummy in the parks. <laughs> like any James Bond film. And <laughs> if you're lucky, a Nordic will show up and help you if you are in a pickle. Mm-hmm. So. Hopefully. At least you have that going for you. All right, everyone. Well, that pretty much brings us down to the end. So hit us up and let us know what you think about all of this high strangeness at Big Bend. And let us know if you've been there before. We want Mm -hmm. to hear about your personal experiences. Yeah, I'd love to hear some stories. Yeah. And last but not least, definitely not least, massive, massive thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. And specifically, huge thank you uh, to our production team, our Mm -hmm. producers, Adam Kellums, Nightwing, Uh, Kitsune, Kitsune, and Jackson Greenberg. Greenberg. Uh, over, I, I believe he's actually <laughs> Greenberg. What's up? He's uh, right across the border from uh, our family place over in Christina Lake. I yeah. think he's pretty close in Washington. Yeah, somewhere, I think he's eh? over there. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's close by. So yeah, yep. shout out Jackson and uh, thank you guys all so much. And to all of our listeners, uh, we couldn't just couldn't do this without you. We wouldn't do this without you. You know, no. we're gearing up. We're trying to you know find the motivation here for more 2022 and just like really hammer out an awesome season of itp so we want to hear your suggestions exactly listener stories yeah all of the above and just like you guys are the ones who keep us motivated so thank you so much and until next time on into the portal your gateway to the bizarre Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.